Coach Flat really believes that he's the smartest guy in the room and that he knows the game better than anyone in the room. And I knew that he was going to have a hard time giving up control and, you know, allowing LeBron to do his thing. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk dimes. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumor. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stango running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. Biggest story in the NBA right now, obviously, the Cavs, despite being three and a half games up on everyone else in the East, and despite coming off a win over the Clippers, who are one of the best teams in the West, fired coach David Blatt on Friday. Now, our guest today, Matt Walsh, a regular on the Great Point Podcast. Matt was a superstar at Florida, played in the NBA, and then had a phenomenal career overseas. He's recently retired. That time overseas included a stint being coached by Blatt. Let's take a quick look at that Blatt timeline. Right from the start, Blatt's first season, there's tension. Team ends up starting 19 and 20. LeBron takes some time off, and we all remember what happened after that. LeBron comes back refreshed. Cavs are dominant down the stretch. Cavs reach the NBA Finals but lose 4-2 to two despite a performance from the ages by LeBron. Then this year, even though the Cavs have been the best team in the East, they lost to Golden State on Christmas, got crushed by Golden State last week at home, and then beat the Nets and the Clippers, but obviously it was too late. It's over for David Blatt, Tyron Lue, the new coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And with that, I want to bring on Matt Walsh. Matt, when did you play for Blatt? Thanks, Adam. Uh, I actually played for David Blatt in the 2009-2010 season. He was coaching a team in Greece called Audis. I was playing with a EuroLeague team in Slovenia, and our EuroLeague season finished, and his team, I mean, he, he pretty much, their, his team bought out my contract. He was the one who wanted me to go there, so I finished the last five months playing for him, and we made it to the final eight of the Euro Cup. Um, I only played for him five months, but um, I've, I, you know, I, I kept in contact with him for a few years after. Tell me about your experience playing for David Blatt. What was that like? It was mostly good. Um, you know, Coach Blatt is a very nice guy. He, uh, I think he means well. He's a good guy. Uh, I don't think you'll find too many people that will say anything negative about him personally. Um, however, I think that I could see that as soon as LeBron decided to go back to Cleveland, I didn't think that this was going to be a good match. Why? Well, Coach Blatt, like a lot of other very good coaches and coaches, especially that I played for in Europe, he truly believes that he knows the game better than anyone in the room. And he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. And he comes off like that. And, you know, he rubbed, I played on a team with, uh, you know, very high level guys over there with him. And he rubbed a lot of the guys on that team the wrong way too. And I think it's just the way he comes off. It's hard to explain, but I think that the thing that uh, I read that was interesting, uh, an article, I forget who wrote it, but 
they were talking about after the uh, Blatt's first win last year against Chicago, first win in the NBA, and the players made a big deal and gave him the game ball, and he kind of reacted like, you know, like, come on, I have 700 wins. Like, you know, I'm not a rookie. And he got very defensive when people talked about him being a rookie. Um, that's kind of just his personality. You know, he, he thinks he's, you know, the best coach in the world, no matter if he never coached in the NBA. And I kind of foresaw that he was going to butt heads with some of the players. Matt, before we get into the even deeper part of this, just so people have perspective, because I always find this part to be fascinating, just sort of the the separation in mindset from people here and, and people overseas. We always think about the NBA as, you know, the mountaintop and nothing can come close. No league, no organization, certainly no player that's playing overseas. And, and, and I think that goes true for the coaches as well. So for someone who played in the NBA, then played overseas, how do people there perceive the league over here? Yeah, and one thing I'll tell you too, in Europe, it's the coaches control way more than the players. In the NBA, you know, it's a player's league. The number one goal for the organization, the coaches, to keep that guy happy. In Europe, the coaches have more of the control. You you can't, you know, you can't uh, confront a coach on anything. But, I mean, it, it is. It's a different mentality. You know, the, the mentality between European players and European coaches is kind of like, oh, you know, the NBA, it's just one-on-one. Nobody plays defense. Nobody cares until the finals. And then you get to... Um, you know, the coaches, they, they'll say the same thing. You know, oh, you know, it's not the right game. It, you know, we, we play a more pure game over here. But if you've played here, you understand that, you know, the NBA is, is the mountaintop and you understand how high a level it is. But it's funny, it's a different perception for sure between European players and coaches and how they view the NBA and how American players view the NBA compared to Europe. How about the superstars over in Europe? Do they look at it as though it's their goal to reach the NBA? I would say 99% of them, yeah, most of the top guys. And it's funny, though, I can't stress enough how much different it is in terms of the NBA being a player's league compared to Europe. I mean, you look <laughs> at the top teams in Europe, like uh, Fenerbahce last year, their coach, uh, Brodovich, I mean, he runs that team like a, like a very – like a high school team, like no matter, and they have guys who are making millions of dollars and he coaches that team and treats those players like they're high school guys. And if you had, if he tried to do that in the NBA, you know, he'd get, he'd get run out of the gym the first day. Going back to the LeBron situation and with David Blatt, I knew from people that during LeBron's last season in Miami, before Cleveland made any moves, they were consulting LeBron's people. Um, and, and how the stories were sort of conveyed with me were personnel, coaching decisions, just the future of the organization in general. They wanted to make sure that if they had any chance at LeBron free agency, that they would not do anything to screw it up beforehand. LeBron has sort of stepped away from that and, and tried to say, hey, I had no part in, in what the decisions that were made before he got to Cleveland, obviously. And then even once he's been in Cleveland, but, Matt, as a guy that's played in the NBA, can you speak to the impact and the shadow a superstar player has over the organization, whether that is made public or not? Yeah, I mean, make no mistake about it. LeBron is the one calling the shots in Cleveland. And that's not necessarily a knock. And I'm not calling LeBron. LeBron is a really high basketball IQ, but everything runs through LeBron. And that's the reality. I mean, the reality is in the NBA, you can only win a title, at least this is my opinion, if you have one of the absolute super superstars in the NBA, the LeBron, 
Steph Curry, a Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. And if you have one of those guys, you have to protect that asset at all costs. I mean, you look at some of these other teams that are, are you know, kind of close to that. But if you don't have one of those superstars, you're not winning an NBA title. So I don't blame the teams for for the way they approach it with the superstars. But there's no question. It's a player's league. The LeBron, LeBron is in on every decision that they're making, whether he's in the in the room, the meeting room, saying this is who I want. They know they know who LeBron wants. They know what's going to keep him happy, and and they're going to do everything they can because they don't want another situation where he leaves and you know he can opt out of his contract again this year. I don't think a lot of outsiders understand the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to be a direct statement from LeBron going to GM David Griffin and saying, hey, I don't want Blatt here. There are indirect moves. And like you said, just the illusion that LeBron wants someone else as head coach or his any hint of his unhappiness, especially as gun shy as, as Cleveland was with how everything went down last time thinking that he wouldn't leave, and he did. Uh, you could tell that everyone, including the same owner, Dan Gilbert, on pins and needles. Matt, you've known LeBron uh, since high school. What do you think he's thinking about right now as Vlad is gone and now Tyron Lue steps in? I think, one, he wants to make it as clear as possible, and you can see that him and his people around him are trying to make it clear that he was not the one involved in this decision. Like you said, there's a lot of different ways to get as a superstar to get your voice heard. But I think he wants he does not want any negative uh, anything negative coming his way based on based on the decision that they made. Two, I think he's probably really happy. Uh Tyloo is a great guy. He the players love him. I trained with Tyloo for seven seasons out in Las Vegas. He was one of the most respected guys out there. He was a great player. Um he has an extremely high basketball IQ. They're going to love playing for Ty Lue. And um, my guess is that, that LeBron is is very happy today. I, I imagine that they're going to get a little pick-me-up as a team. And, you know, I could see them going, you know, winning 9 out of 10 or something like that. What is it about Ty, Tyron Lue that makes other players and uh, obviously coaches respect him? Well, one, he always, you know, commanded respect on the court because he had such a high basketball IQ. He competed so hard. And he was so good. People don't realize how good he was. Training out in Las Vegas, I mean, there was all-stars, Hall of Famers playing out there. and Him and Chauncey Billups were the two best players out there, period. I mean, he's an incredible player. And it's just the way he deals with, with the players. He's He's got one of those personalities that's just contagious. And, um, I mean, I think you can see that. You know, I've, I've seen some articles written about it. But all the players really love him. And it seems like this is a move that a lot of guys have wanted for, you know, a while now. I've read some things that that uh, Ty Lu is the one who got on guys in the locker room uh, during film sessions, and he's the one who the players talk to during games. And I, I think that this uh, is going to be a, a very positive move for the Cavs as an organization, as a team. Matt, I'm curious as to the strengths and the weaknesses of a star player. And granted, we're talking about the best player in the world probably over the last decade. A star player having his guy as the head coach and a guy that you can tell not only is their respect level, but but a friendship as well. So what are the strengths and the weaknesses of having a guy like that in the organization now lead, leading the franchise? I think every situation is unique, but I think that, like I mentioned before, 
in this day and age, it's just a reality. You have to keep the star players happy. And if that means that I think you have to try and get the best of both worlds. You have to get somebody in there who demands respect and at the same time is going to be tight with the players and the players are going to really like him. You look, I mean, there was clearly something wrong with the Cavaliers, with their energy level, with, you know, you watch them play against these other teams. There's something different about the Warriors, the Spurs, how they interact with each other. So I feel like this change was necessary. But in terms of the positive and negative of having one of those star players, I think it's just the reality. You have to do whatever you whatever you can to keep those star players happy. And if that means, you know, hiring a guy that he's going to give the okay on, that that's just something you have to do. I guess oh, why I'm asking that is what happens when the Cavs lose three straight? Yeah, I mean – it's a good question. Um, you know, I think that if David Blatt would have stayed, it would have been an easy scapegoat for the team and for them to say, oh, you know, the guys aren't reacting. Uh, just like last year, you know, we need to make a change. Now it's all out there. So now, you know, LeBron has his guy, so there's no more There's no more excuses. And they lose three in a row. It's all men now. There's, no, there's nowhere else to point. You know, there can't be any you know, talking to the press and kind of giving veiled answers about guys not being happy. I mean, he has his guy that they're supposedly really happy now. So it's all on them to, to get it done. I'm curious as to David Blatt's coaching style. We've heard a lot about his personality, but just in terms of the X's and O's, uh, what did you notice that was similar from your time playing with him and, and, and what's changed uh, in terms of what you actually saw on the court from when you played with under David Blatt and, and this Cavs team over the last couple of years? I mean, it was, it's just two different, totally different, <laughs> two totally different coaches pretty much. I mean, when he coached us, like I said, I mean, the coaches have all the control in Europe. So we ran what we were told and we ran a lot of the Princeton style offense and moved the ball and um, whatever he said, you know, we had to do. It was clear that after the beginning of last season, when they started out so slow, LeBron just kind of, took over that team and, and did what he wanted. And he had some issues, you know, I mean, when you have Kyrie and LeBron, you can't, those guys are going to control the game. And I think he did a good job of changing his style. And, and, you know, you can't go into a situation like that and say, this is how I coach and we're going to do it this way. You have to look and say, all right, well, you know, I have Kyrie and LeBron who are the best guys in the league with the ball in their hands. I'm going to have to give them a lot of leeway. And, like you saw, it, he didn't want to give up that control at first, but it didn't take long for LeBron to just take that control. And LeBron said as much. It's funny because for all the coaches that you played with during your career, I'm sure there are guys that if you had seen on the ESPN bottom line uh, cross, you know, hey, this guy is going to be the coach of the Cavs. You think to yourself, oh, that's going to be a great match. Again, when you saw the fact that David Blatt was going to be the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Your immediate reaction was? It was that I didn't think that he was going to last a, whole, a long time. And that has nothing to do with what kind of guy I think David Blatt is or what kind of coach. It was just the reality that, I, I like I said, Coach Blatt really believes that he's the smartest guy in the room and that he knows the game better than anyone in the room. And I knew that he was going to have a hard time giving up control and you know, allowing LeBron to do his thing. And it's coming as a player, I understand what LeBron's feeling and, and what he needs. I mean, just as an observer too, like 
LeBron needs a certain amount of freedom, and he needs to to feel like he's running the show, and he he doesn't have anyone in that organization, Cleveland, that could court, sort of check him. And I, I knew that it was going to be tough for for Coach Blatt in that situation with with those superstar guys. I think it, it would have been a lot easier for him if if you know they were just developing Andrew Wiggins, and and they never would have got him. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think Blatt thought he was going to be coaching. Um, you know, and we've seen this is reported that Blatt assumed that he was going to be coaching this young team that he could sort of drive the way he wanted to to take them and uh, run the kind of offense like he talked about, do that Princeton stuff, and obviously ended up with a, a totally different roster than than you'd expect with LeBron and his merry men. Given the current roster that's in place in Cleveland, Matt, uh, I'm very curious as to your thoughts on on the Kevin Love situation. How do you think he fits in, and do you think that he'll be there long term? If you would have asked me that a few days ago when Coach Blatt was still there, I would have said no. Um, I've read some reports that, you know, they're trying to shop him and trade him. And I would have said, absolutely not. I think you you got to trade him. Now, maybe because they're making a change. Um, like I said, the players really respect Ty Lue. Uh There's a chance that Ty Lue can reach Kyrie and LeBron and get them to understand, look, we're not going to win anything unless we get Kevin Love playing at a really high level and get him more involved. And, I think the Cavs can compete if Kevin Love is is playing at, at the level that he's capable. Ask me to guess. I'd say I think Kevin Love finishes this season as a Cavalier. Okay. I talked to a former NBA coach who had coached Kevin Love who said that this was years ago. And he told me that he didn't feel like Kevin Love did the little things on the court to win games in the NBA. And by little things, he meant, look, obviously the guy scores. We know that he could step outside and shoot threes better than almost any big man in the, in the league. That's, that's a given. Uh, and he rebounds at an incredible rate, throws pretty outlet passes. But all that being said, he said he doesn't take hard fouls. Uh, he's not going to rotate defensively. He's not a guy that's going to give maximum effort when it's required. Dig down deep. You know, all those things you hear about giving 110%, all the cliched comments, this coach felt like Kevin Love didn't do that. In your experience, watching Kevin Love and seeing him through the years, do you think that's fair? Well, I'm certainly more inclined to believe with somebody who coached him because as a player, guys I've played played with or against, it's very clear right away whether guys have those intangibles or not. I think that the biggest thing with Kevin Love is that when he is not getting the shots that he feels like he should get, when he's not involved as much as he wants to be, then he tends to not, it tends to magnify that he doesn't do those things as well. You know, when he's engaged and when he's involved and when he's, you know, getting his shots and scoring points, it's easy to do those things. You know, you dive on the floor, but when you're frustrated and when you're not involved and you know, when you see the other guys high-fiving LeBron and Kyrie and they're running the show and you're thinking, man, a year and a half ago I was in Minnesota averaging 25-15. Um, you know, it, it's harder to do those things. And I think it's fair. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm inclined to defer to the coach on that. But, I mean, you watch you watch the games and you watch the impact that a guy like Draymond has for the Warriors. He does every little thing. And then you watch Kevin Love on the other side. I mean, if, if you don't see the difference, you're not watching it closely. 
Right. Some people that are really close to the league have agreed with that that assessment, and uh, they're fearful that's what's going to keep the Cavs from winning a title are some of the deficiencies that, that Kevin Love has on, on the defensive end. Offensively, Matt, we haven't seen a whole lot of Kyrie, LeBron, and Kevin Love just simply because of, of the injuries. You know, we saw last year, obviously, Kevin Love and Kyrie went down during the playoffs. When things are clicking on the offensive end, What's the potential for that threesome? I mean, they can be scary, you know, especially when you add in, um, you know, J.R. Smith out there as another shooter um, Mm -hmm. because Kyrie and LeBron demand everyone's attention on the court if you're going to stop those guys. So when you you can spread the court with J.R. Smith and, you know, and uh, Kevin Love out there, then you add in, you know, Mo Williams or whoever other shooter they have out there, it's really tough to stop. And, you know, if Ty Lue can – it's it's why I think it's going to be interesting these next few weeks. I think that will determine Kevin Love's future, whether he's going to be there or not long-term, because if Kevin Love can get the team to buy into finding ways, no matter what they have to do to get Kevin Love involved, then he can get a, a fire lit under Kevin Love to really start doing those little things. They can be really good, because as good as the Spurs and the Warriors are in Oklahoma City, they're going to have to get full contribution, maximum contribution from all three of them have any chance to win an NBA title. Well, that's that's the next thing I wanted to get to, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. So you and I are sort of on the same page right now, although, well, a few days ago when we spoke, we, we were both on the same page about the, the Spurs maybe being the team to now be in, in the West, although what the Warriors did to the Cavs uh, last week may, may have changed your mind. But regardless of who comes out of the West, whether it's, you know, the Spurs, Warriors, or like you say, even OKC, and maybe maybe the Clippers, who knows? But but whoever comes out of the West, you'd have to figure that's who the Cavs' main concern is. They, they have to figure that they're going to roll through the, the Eastern Conference playoffs. That being said, where do the Cavs have to be in order to be on the same level as those, those teams that are at the top of the West? Uh, honestly, I think they have to play at a higher level than we've ever seen them play in the last two years. I don't think that they've played a level of basketball that they can compete with the Spurs or the Warriors right now. And I think that even if Kevin Love's playing at maximum, Kyrie's playing great, I think it'll take a like a legendary-type performance, kind of like last year, but even on a higher level, in order for them to be able to beat one of those two teams. And I think that's the reality. If they don't make any roster changes, that they're going to have to – it'll they'll have to play out of their minds in order to beat beat one of those top two teams. And it's interesting you say that because their roster is sort of locked in. I mean, you know, they, they locked in Tristan Thompson, um, J.R. Smith. Everybody has these extended contracts. Now, granted, they can always make a trade, but just in terms of their, their current team as it's currently structured, everyone is sort of locked in to, to their roster spot and set to go. I mean, it's almost lock and load. This is who we're going to be the next few years. And we've seen how important chemistry is in the NBA. You can't just, well, there have been very few occasions in which you saw, you know, a plug and play situation where a team just quickly switched up their roster and and made a run, most notably, you know, the big three in Boston. But other than that, throughout NBA history, it's really been a case of, you know, having a group of guys getting a chance to play together. So I'm curious as to, with this setup of Kyrie and LeBron, could it also be true? We haven't really had a chance to see, especially with those two, 
just the opportunity for them to have a chance to grow together and work out the kinks of two superstars playing together. Yeah, I think the most important thing you said right there is how important chemistry is. And, I mean, there's no question when you watch, like I said earlier, the, the Warriors and the Spurs, they have a totally different attitude, a totally different style of just treating each other than the Cavaliers do. And it's possible that if Ty Lu can really reach these guys and they buy into the fact that, all right, Coach Black's gone, we have no more excuses, no more crutches, we have to figure this out on our own. If they buy into that and they start, you know, they can develop that chemistry and that joy in playing together, they can they can be a lot more dangerous. But as as they are now, I don't see how they can compete with those two teams. Right now, is it still the uh, the Spurs you think have a leg up on the on the Warriors? I don't know, man. Both teams are so good. <laughs> it's so <laughs> hard to pick. Uh, I I mean, I I really hope that they play each other. This year, you know, last year with the Spurs losing, um, we didn't get to see it. But I really hope that they're, you know, the one and two, and we get to see them in a seven-game series in the Western Conference Finals. If I had to pick before, if they're playing in the Western Conference Finals and they're both healthy, I'm going to pick the Spurs just because I think Popovich is the best coach in the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on, uh, on that front, Matt. Look, it's, it, we talked a little bit of the idea that you've known LeBron for a long time. One of the things that's interesting to me is sort of how he's always tried to almost sidestep controversy and it's always kind of found him just because he's such a magnetic force. I mean, he has more pull uh, as a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers, whether he wants it or not, whether it's public or not, he has more influence than I think any superstar that's ever played in, in the NBA. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan wanted personnel coaching decisions made you know, tried to get things done, couldn't at times. Uh, we saw, you know, through the years, different superstars that tried to, you know, wave their their magic wand. Magic did actually get a chance to do that. He wanted Paul Westhead gone and actually got it done by basically saying, hey, this team has to trade me. That's it. I need to get out of here. Um, and so we, we saw that. We've seen other superstars have somewhat of an influence how amazed are you by how much power right now LeBron wields in the NBA? Um, I think, first of all, the game has changed so much since, you know, Jordan and Magic Times, even just 15, 20 years ago. Now, like I said, I can't stress enough how just it's 100% of players made. But in <laughs> terms of LeBron, I would argue that he right now in Cleveland is the most powerful athlete that has ever had as much con- – Nobody's ever had more control over a franchise in any sport than LeBron does for the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. And I don't think it's right. particularly close. I think if LeBron went into, you know, Dan Gilbert's office and said, I want this done now, no matter what it's going to cost him, no matter he's going to do it. Yeah, and the funny thing is, look, going back to his high school days, right, let, 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 let's take a step back. Playing for St. Vincent, St. Mary, during that time, Anytime there was an interview with LeBron or, or someone spoke to LeBron about what he was accomplishing and how he was, you know, first team All-American USA Today as a sophomore, things, all these ridiculous accolades, best high school player in the last 20 years, all, all these things that had, had come out, games nationally televised on ESPN. He always seemed to push the attention to his teammates. Yeah, I mean, 
don't get just because he has that power. I mean, I still think LeBron is a great teammate. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know, I think he's, I think the guy's been really like LeBron. I think he he cares about his teammates. I mean, he clearly gets them involved and he he plays unselfish. But I also think that LeBron wants that power and needs to have that power that he has in Cleveland. I don't think that that just fell on his lap. I think it's all by design. All by design. Yeah, I do. I think that going back there, he knew that the way he left and how devastated all of Cleveland was, I think that he knew going back there that he was going to be able to pretty much run that franchise and get away with whatever he wanted to be able to get away with. Matt, as a guy who has a lot of friends still floating around in the NBA, you played with the Heat and uh, had some other training camp experiences. What do our guys around the league at this point saying about LeBron, and what do you think they think about the power structure as it currently sits in the NBA with Warriors, Spurs, and then Cavs somewhere in the mix? I think that if you asked um, just about anyone in the NBA outside of Cleveland and maybe some guys on Cleveland, they would tell you if they answered honestly that it's San Antonio and Golden State and then everyone else. I don't think that Cavs are even particularly close to them. In terms of what the guys are thinking about Cleveland right now and their situation, I think that I don't think it was a secret, um, especially some of the stuff I've been reading the last few days, that a lot of the Cleveland players weren't happy with, with Coach Flat and they wanted to change. So my guess is the feeling around the league is like, all right, like it happened. We're not surprised. And how much do you know as a player that a change is needed and you have to get over the hump. I mean, we saw with, and I'm impressed if I saying we saw what Golden State did to Cleveland, obviously a, a, a depleted Cleveland squad in the NBA finals. Then we see them beat them on Christmas. Then we see them crush them last week. So it almost seemed like anyone with a set of eyes could tell you that under the current construct, Cleveland wasn't going to be getting past Golden State. But when you're a member of the actual team that's struggling some of those setbacks, I'm curious as to how well you actually know, you know, especially these NBA players and international players that have enormous confidence. How much do you know that you just can't beat this other team? Uh, You know it. You know it. You may not want to admit it, but you know it as a player. I mean, it must be so frustrating for LeBron because, you know, he obviously thinks he's the best player in the world. He he's not really been in that situation where, you know, if he's playing at a peak level, he can't he can't beat a team. And I don't even think that you know at this point LeBron can will will that team to victory. So you you certainly know it as a player. I mean, I've been on teams like that where you know going into a series or a game that you can pretty much play your best and you're not gonna you know you're not gonna beat this team. How much can you sense it from your your coaching staff and the players around you? Um, you know, a lot of that depends on you know what your teammates are like and you know how how locked in they are. But it's usually not it's usually not a secret. Um, you know, if if you if you're playing a team and you know if if you're playing a team that you know that you have very little chance to win no matter how you play, you know you'll see it in your coach that whole week. You know, he'll be he'll be uptight and he'll be worried about every little detail and you know you'll be practicing a little bit longer and a lot of times that kind of stuff backfires because you know the players really see that and understand that and the players are saying to themselves and to each other like 
man. Like, you know, he, he's, he's nervous because he knows, you know, you know, we have to play perfect to win or, you know, he, he's, he's all, you know, uptight because he knows we don't have a chance and it's very easy to see. And, um, you can feel, you can feel it. It's kind of a joke among players sometimes if, if you can feel that within the coaching staff. I know that also probably brings back some bad memories for you. So. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> stuff's going through my head. <laughs> <laughs> like what? No, just, I'm just putting myself like, you know, I've been in, like I said, shoot-arounds before. Actually, I can give you an example. The year when I played with the Heat, um, that was the year that, you know, Stan Van Gundy started out as the coach. It was That was when Pat Riley ended up taking over, and you could just feel the tension and, uh, you know, the fact that Stan knew he had – and I, I'm, I'm a huge Stan Van Gundy guy. I love Stan. I think he's a great coach. Mm-hmm. But you could just feel every day that Stan knew that if things didn't go perfectly and things didn't go well, that – you know, the option was always there for Pat Riley to come down and take over. And that's eventually what happened. But guys would talk about it and laugh about it in the showers. And, like, you know, I think we went one in seven in preseason that year. And, you know, the joke was, like, Stan was going to get fired before the end of preseason. Um, so you definitely know and you can see. I mean, we were having, like, two-hour shoot-arounds that year. You know, Shaq and those guys were like, what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you could tell it was because he was nervous about, you know, losing his job. And there's different things. I know that's a little bit different uh, answer to your question, but you can always feel it when your coach has something else going on. Oh, that's that's great. I, I appreciate the, the insight. And you played on the Heat with Dwayne Wade and Shaq, as you just referenced. So when you're playing with superstars like that, and you've talked about this, this entire podcast, we're talking about the idea that, that superstars in today's NBA have so much more power than I think anyone on the outside even has a clue about. Do you have any uh, stories or, or moments that you can think back to that just show the kind of influence that guys like a D. Wade, Shaq, and, and LeBron have over an organization? Yeah, I mean, there were times where, um, <laughs> with especially with Shaq, because Shaq was the kind of a guy like, LeBron, who wielded so much power. You know, what Shaq kind of said went. And there'd be days where we would, uh, you know, be finishing up a long practice or something, and, you know, Stan would have, like, the intention to do something else, and Shaq would just kind of, like, be like, uh, hey, coach, like, uh, you know, this was this was a good practice, huh? Or, like, or like hey, coach, <laughs> that was a good one. Like, we got a lot in today. And you'd just kind of see, like, a look <laughs> go across Stan's face, and it'd be like, all right, guys, bring it in. Like, you know, we're done today. And just little <laughs> stuff like that, uh, that, you know, the, the players, the players, it, it is, the players have all the power. I love it. Did, did you have, uh, you have some power overseas? you have any stories you want to share about influence that you had about uh, making some personnel moves or otherwise? <laughs> personnel, no. The only power I ever had was if I had a really good game and we won, I'd, you know, maybe be able to get practice a little bit later the next day or, joke and be like, oh, if, if we had a game Saturday and we wanted the, a day off or two, I'll be like, hey, we'll see you Monday night, you know, instead of Monday in the morning. But uh, that, was, that was about the extent of my power. Like I said, in Europe, it's a whole lot different. Well, we, we know you uh, from previous podcasts didn't have a whole lot of power at Florida because if somebody wants to go back and listen, they can hear about uh, your bright idea to try to go to a club you're banned from uh, the yeah, night after was, uh, a big win. Yeah, I, th- I thought uh, the whole team was there. What, what was the worst that could happen? Well, 
I learned my lesson being on the track for about two hours the next day, so that shows how much power I had. <laughs> oh, this sounds good. And Matt, uh, always great stuff. Really appreciate having you on and hoping that we can make this a, a regular thing, even if it means that the coaching news or player news doesn't revolve around guys that you used to play for. I'm sure we could find some <laughs> connection uh, no matter what, but I appreciate you uh, always jumping on the podcast. Yes, thanks as always for having me. It was a pleasure. So huge thank you to Matt Walsh, always a tremendous guest on the Great Point Podcast. Again, we're trying to make Matt's appearances a regular thing. And also, as you may have noticed, we have partnered with B-Ball Breakdown, which has been huge for us. Uh, Coach Nick and the guys over at B-Ball Breakdown do some amazing stuff. So you can subscribe over there on their iTunes channel or on the Great Point Podcast. Love these listens just continue to rise. And we've got some great guests coming up in the near future. So that should be awesome. I think that'll do it for us. And we'll catch you next time.